Antarctica is the highest, driest, coldest, windiest, and emptiest continent on Earth. Every year, more than 400 scientists venture there to study everything from astronomy to microbiology. But they can't do it alone. It takes a small army of support staff to keep them all safe and fully operational. The Antarctic Sun podcast is a behind-the-scenes look at what it takes for the National Science Foundation to maintain the research stations and vessels that support ongoing science in the harshest continent at the bottom of the planet. This episode, the fire department. When asked, what might be something you'd find in Antarctica, a big red fire truck is not on most people's lists. But at McMurdo Station, the fire department is located right at the center of town, and it's a critical part of station operations. My name is Neil Paul. I'm the fire chief for the United States Antarctic Program, and I have a group of firefighters here in McMurdo Station and out at Williams Field and at the South Pole. It's a department that also makes up a surprisingly large part of the population on station. Uh, 56 total people, includes all the firefighters and officers, and some dispatchers and one mechanic. Airplanes are constantly arriving and departing from McMurdo Station's two airfields, bringing people and critical cargo to the remote region. These flights are one of the main reasons why the fire department is so important. So a very large part of what we do at the airfields is what we now call airport rescue firefighting, what they used to call crash fire rescue in the Navy days. And um, a very large proportion of our equipment and effort and personnel are dedicated to that cause. Um, But since we also have the town of McMurdo, uh, we do run a structural and ambulance, a structural fire service and an ambulance uh, response service here in the town as well. At the airfields, the team's number one duty is to be ready to respond to any accident or emergency that might happen. For the most part, as we like it, it's a relatively uninteresting job, mostly just watching planes take off and land without incident, which is obviously the way we like it. Um, But in case that uh, day ever comes where we do need to uh, provide emergency response out at the airfield, uh, we've got folks out there 24 hours a day, uh, eight people at a time. The airfields are located on the nearby Ross Ice Shelf, and instead of the airstrips being made of asphalt or concrete, there's snow and ice packed down. But this means that a typical fire engine isn't going to cut it. Firefighter Eddie Quinn explains. Our vehicles are pretty unique. The ones we have at the airfield are definitely some of the most unique fire vehicles in the world, probably. As far as I know, there's hardly any or no tracked fire vehicles anywhere else in the world. You know, maybe there are other Antarctic bases that have similar conditions, but that we're operating on compacted snow and ice is what separates us from virtually any other airport fire job that anybody ever has ever had. It's not a common thing to land aircraft on snow and ice. Um, correspondingly, we have to have vehicles, firefighting uh, response vehicles, that either are light enough or distribute their weight well enough on the snow surface that they don't get bogged down that they don't sink in the snow. And correspondingly, our ARF trucks, airport rescue firefighting trucks, are tracked vehicles or they're tow behind sleds. They need vehicles that can spread their weight and the weight of the fire suppressant out wide enough so they don't sink into the snow. We have specialized vehicles that are on tracks, look like a modified snowcat almost, that would be a cross between almost like a snowcat and a fire truck. And uh, so if a aircraft did miss the runway, have a hard landing, we should be able to get out to it, and obviously if it's on fire, we have the equipment out there to put the fire out, but also to cut a hole in the side of the aircraft and get people out as necessary. And the department has a couple of smaller trucks for an even faster response as well. The newer ones are modified Ford F-550s, where they took the wheels off and they put tracks on, and in the back is the uh, 
it's like a big fire extinguisher in the back and so nothing will freeze up and we keep those plugged in as well to keep the engines warm when they're not in use but they're uh they're a little faster than the older ones but they don't carry as much foam firefighting foam on them either the airfields are located a few miles away from the main area of mcmurdo station the fire station in town is also staffed 24 7 for any emergency responses that might be needed here in the town of McMurdo, this is actually very much what people are used to from municipal firefighting or their county fire department or whatever from back home. Uh, the equipment that we use here is almost uh, indistinguishable from what you might see back in the States. Um, the only things that we really do on our fire engines that you wouldn't necessarily see regularly back home are that we carry a very large amount of water. Uh, the large trucks that we have are mostly uh, water-carrying uh, apparatus. So our strategy is very much to take the relatively large water amount of water that we're carrying on the trucks and apply that to what we hope is still a small fire before it grows. And there's other ways that fire operations in town are similar to what some firefighters are used to in the States. It might be easy to think that because it's Antarctica, we're the only people that deal with that. But actually, the uh, temperatures that we deal with, even in the wintertime here, uh, there are places in the United States, in uh, the Dakotas, in Alaska, places like that, and they're dealing with very similar conditions as far as uh, you know, weather and temperature and that sort of thing goes. And as it turns out, our strategy is the same as theirs. Uh, here in town, those trucks live indoors in a nice warm building, um, so they stay warm most of the time when they're not out in the world. And when they are out in the elements, then they obviously are subject to the cold. Uh, but the strategies that we use are just like everywhere else. Um, one, there's a large thermal mass, so it takes quite a while for that to cool down. Um, we keep water out of the small plumbing of the truck until we're sure that we're going to need to use it. And that um, helps prevent you know, small sections of relatively easy to freeze water from forming in the pump and the plumbing and that sort of thing. This way, the team has adapted strategies that fire departments in cold regions have learned from years of experience. Uh, you want to keep the water flowing. Once you once you start flowing water through the hose, you don't want to close the nozzle, otherwise it will freeze up. Uh, and our fire engines here both have extra heaters, both in the tank and in the pump, to help keep the water warm as long as it's in the truck. But as long as you keep water moving, it won't freeze. And though airfield and local firefighting are common around the country, finding people the right mix of skills can be tricky. All of our people have to be um, EMT basic, emergency medical technicians, and they have to be airport firefighters in order to come down here. And actually that is kind of a, a rare subset of firefighters. So people that work at airfields tend to not be EMTs, and people that work on general fire departments, municipal, county fire departments, that kind of thing, tend not to be airport firefighters. So to find that uh, interlocking circle that is both is actually somewhat of a, a rare subset of the total firefighters that are out there. The need for well-trained and skilled firefighters is pretty obvious. By the nature of working in Antarctica, the department has limited resources, and there are potential hazards all over the place. Between the aircraft emergencies or a vehicle going off the road between here and Scott Bay, stumbling down the hill, things like that. I mean, that, I feel like the potential is really high for that type of accident. Um, luckily, we haven't had anything like that in a while. But uh, you definitely want the people here if there is that type of accident because we can't call on neighboring. Back in the States, you have mutual aid agreements with neighboring fire departments, but our closest neighboring fire department is in New Zealand. The environment also makes fire even more of a hazard. Antarctica is a dry desert and can get very windy as well. Perfect conditions for a fire to spread quickly, 
which is why so much emphasis is placed on prevention. Uh, fire prevention here, as everywhere, is key, and uh, we do dedicate quite a bit of time to it. Uh, where a, a business uh, might get inspected once a year back in the States, we go around and inspect almost every facility here in McMurdo once a month. So we're doing it quite a bit more often than you might expect to see back home. And uh, we found that that really pays off, uh, taking the time to look for uh, ignition sources, keep um, fires from starting in the first place, as one major aspect of fire prevention. Brandon Brenneman is the fire prevention officer. He's in charge of making sure that all of the station residents are following fire prevention procedures. So every week we have inspections to do. We have over 100 buildings on station, and during the summer, all those get inspected at least once a month. So I go through, uh, it's either myself or the duty crews or both, and we have a, an inspection sheet with certain things that we're looking for, like blocked exits, uh, we check emergency, li emergency lights, make sure they work, uh, emergency exit signs, make sure those are working properly, and any other violations that uh, might come across. The key to stopping fires from ever starting is to get everyone involved from the beginning. For new arrivals, there's a fire safety presentation that I put on and basically just goes over uh, good housekeeping and uh, what to do and what not to do as far as uh, violations and how to address those and also go over um, a brief thing on extinguishers and how to report an emergency. The goal is to get the whole community up to speed and involved. Fire prevention here is everybody's responsibility. We're a very small community. Um, there's only so many people here, especially during the winter, there's even less. And with the staffing on our department, we can't, we can't do it all by ourselves, so we need the community's help. And as far as the importance of it, uh, whatever happens down here, it's not like back in the States where if we get a call that exceeds our resources, we can call for more resources from anywhere, and it's just endless here. It's not like that at all. What we have, what you see, that's that's it. There's nobody else coming to the party. Whatever happens is, is our baby to deal with. But if there is an emergency, the station is set up to deal with it. This is Lori Foster, the head of dispatch. We are the emergency service dispatch for the fire department and the station. Uh, we do have a 911 system here, so people can call into 911. After the call in, Lori and her team alerts the entire fire department. We have uh, a radio system, a VHF radio system, that there are um, emergency alert tones on. We have two different type of alert tones, two different audible alerts, one for medicals and one for fire alarms, so that when we uh, push the button and make the alert tone sound over the radio, the firefighters will know the difference of whether it is a medical call that they're receiving or a non-medical, so not necessarily just fire department, but anything other than a medical call, so a fire alarm, a hazardous material alarm, um, hazardous material spill, anything like that will be a different sound over the radio. We start with location and then give the nature of the incident and end with the location. Uh, the theory behind that is uh, if they are close by, when you're giving the location, they can immediately redirect or go to that location. We give a brief nature of the call, usually in four words or less, um, and then end with the location, so that's the last thing that they hear. Um, once the crews acknowledge the call and go in service, we can go back and provide them additional information. But the initial narrative is generally given in about four words or less. Firefighters maintain a response posture in order to be able to be somewhere, anywhere on the station within three minutes. Uh, they have to have their 
uh, turnout boots and pants and things, jackets right there by the truck. Uh, they have them in a configuration so that they can just step in and pull them straight up. Uh, trucks are started and uh, they're out the door and fortunately again sm relatively small towns so uh, drive time is relatively short and uh, so roughly a minute or a minute and a half getting ready and getting out the door and about a minute and a minute and a half uh, driving to uh, to where we're going. Upon arriving on the scene, the team continues to gather any information that might be important. More often than not, people are coming out of the building, so talk to them, find out if there is a fire. You know, is it smoky? How, how, where is the smoke and how thick the smoke is? Try to find out a location because some of the buildings here, you know, are quite, quite good size and you want to try to, you know, you don't want to waste time going in the wrong sections of the building. So try to find out where it is. You can also look at the alarm. Some of the alarm panels, too, will have a, a little map of the building and show you where the uh, alarms are going off. So that would be the first step. And then ideally try to go in there and find it and suppress it. Most fire alarms, too, we go in with just a fire extinguisher, the idea being that it's a lot quicker, and if the fire is contained, usually we get there quick enough that we should be able to knock out most fires with an extinguisher, you know, unless we see smoke rolling out the building. The responses may be similar to fire departments back home, but because of the remoteness and the harsh environment, the stakes in Antarctica can be just that much higher. Uh, well, the basics are similar, but it's just every every call we run, uh, every job we do is usually more difficult due to the weather challenges here and um, the lack of resources that we have available. You really have to get creative and, and use your brain and uh, figure out different solutions to fix problems here, whereas in the States, everything's kind of at your fingertips. And though the ultimate goal is to call them into action as little as possible, the fire department is always ready to go at a moment's notice. That's all for this edition of the Antarctic Sun podcast, and stay tuned for more. I'll be bringing you more behind-the-scenes looks at how the National Science Foundation gets science done at the bottom of the world. And check out our website at antarcticsun.usap.gov for more news and science from the frozen continent. Thanks for listening.